little bit about that this morning as we get into God's Word. So can we stand together and let's pray? I'd like you to, uh, if you could with me, just repeat this prayer. Say, Heavenly Father, I ask you to speak to my heart. I ask you to change me by your word today. I ask that I'll never be the same after this message. In Jesus' name, amen. go. So this morning, I'd like you to open your Bibles or look, look to the screen if you might, if you may, and we're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 19. First Kings chapter 19. Um, and I want to start this morning to say this, that a preacher's responsibility, um, when a preacher gets up before a congregation, our responsibility is basically twofold. It's to teach on what God has and is doing, his provision, his blessings, and his promises. So it's really talking about who we are in Christ and encouraging people to grow and know what God has done and what he's doing. The second thing is to teach on what are our responsibilities and what God is requiring of us. See, when we come into covenant with God, it's a twofold thing. God, God has these blessings and these provisions through his promises for our lives, but then there's an expectation from us to walk in covenant with him as well. Amen? And uh, sometimes uh, in order to really partake of the blessings of God, we have to align ourselves uh, with the responsibilities that God requires of us. All right? So we're saved by grace but um, it's our works that will reward us. I want to get to heaven. How many want to get to heaven and have a few rewards to claim? Amen? And so we're not talking about your salvation. We're talking about uh, the blessings of God being inherited through doing the works of God. So this morning, uh, I want to talk about the, uh, the nation of Israel because the nation of Israel seemed to struggle a lot with the sin of idolatry. Every time they went into a land and they were to conquer a land and the people... They moved in, and many times they would begin to worship the gods of that nation. And that is what we call idolatry. And um, before entering the promised land, they were warned, God warned the Hebrews not to worship the Canaanite gods. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 14 to 15, it says here, You shall not, I'll just look behind because I don't have it, You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you. Okay, for the Lord your God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. And so God was very animate that they would not worship other gods. And um, the main deity of worship by the Canaanites was the god called Baal. Okay? And uh, just to summarize what Baal worship was, is Baal was a fertility god, um, who was believed to enable the earth to produce crops and the people to produce children. Different regions worshipped Baal in different ways, and Baal proved to be the highest adaptable god. There was various locals that would emphasize one or another of his attributes and develop special denominations of Baalism. So just like the church has many denominations, when it came to Baal worship, which was, uh, was the god of fertility, there was many different denominations or beliefs within that worship. And I want to say this is that Baal worship is uh, rooted in sensuality and involved ritualistic prostitution in the temples. And so 
what happened was, uh, I'm going to just turn this off because my pages keep flipping here. What happened with Baal worship uh, was that uh, it was rooted in sensuality. How many know we've got a problem with sensuality in today's society? Okay. It involved ritualistic prostitution in the temples, and at times appeasing Baal required human sacrifice. Okay? Usually the firstborn of, one of, uh, of the one making the sacrifice. The priests of Baal appealed to their god in rites of wild abandonment, which included loud, ecstatic cries and self-inflicted injury. In Matthew chapter 12, 27, Jesus calls Satan Baalzebub, uh, linking the devil to Baal, a Philistine deity. Okay? And so the children of Israel began to worship this, this, this false god. And the problem with them is that they weren't just worshiping Baal, but they were trying to worship God at the same time. So they had a mixture going on. Okay? Now, so ritualistic Baal worship is summed up like this. Adults would gather around the altar of Baal. Infants would then be burned alive as sacrificial offerings to the deity. Uh, horrific screams were heard. There was a stench of uh, human flesh being scarred, uh, being burnt. Uh, the men and women alike would engage in bisexual orgies. Uh, the ritual convenience was intended to produce economic prosperity by promoting Baal to bring rain for fertility on Mother Earth. And so it was Mother, Mother Earth worship. Okay? We have the same problem today. And so the natural consequence of such behavior, of course, was pregnancy and childbirth and associated with financial burdens of unplanned parenthood. This was the problem. So one could either engage in homosexual conduct or they would sacrifice their children because it was a burden for them to raise a child. And so we see that the same kind of things were happening then are happening in society today. Amen? We see that like throughout the centuries, we see that sin is sin and we see different types of sin at different centuries. And during the dark ages, we saw spiritual abuse, we saw fear, we saw poverty. Um, during, uh, during the first centuries, we see violence, we see oppression, we see during the 1500s up until the 1900s, we saw anger and personal liberty and drunkenness and slavery. We saw different forms, but today we're seeing sexuality, we're seeing that same spirit that was operating is beginning to operate again in the earth. How many would agree with me on that? And so Israel began to get caught up in this flesh-indulging religion, mixing it with their Jewish faith. Okay? And so what I want to do this morning is as we look at 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 20 to 29, what happens is we're not going to read it all, but um, the Lord basically, uh, uh, sorry, Elijah basically comes and he says here to the people, I alone am my left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450. Therefore, let us give, give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood and put no fire under it. And he begins to say, we're basically going to build two altars. I'm going to build an altar to the Lord and you're going to build an altar to Baal. We're going to put a sacrifice on it and we're going to call down fire from heaven. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. Amen? You guys are probably familiar with the story. And so what I want to show you here is in 1 Corinthians chapter 18, verse 30 to 31. Coming up to that, we see that, uh, let me just read this to you first here, uh, verse 27. 
And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked him, saying, Cry aloud, for he is God. Either he's meditating, or he's busy, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened. Now, they were trying to get their God to answer, right? So he cried aloud, cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances until the blood gushed out of them. And, and then midday was past. They prophesied in the time of the offering, okay, the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid any attention. So Baal was not, was not answering them at all. But look at verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had fallen down. I want you to understand that, is that what, what happened was Elijah came up to a place, and there was an altar that was sitting on, there were stones sitting on the ground, and, and, and he said, come here, guys, I want you to see this. So Israel gathered around him, and he got down, and he began to rebuild the altar of the Lord that had fallen down. Now, I believe we're in a time, the altar represents a place of sacrifice, and the altar represents a place of repentance. And Elijah was saying, look, this altar is lying in ruins. We're going to rebuild the altar. So he begins to move the stones and begins to put them back in place as the people are watching. Okay? Now we see here in verse 31 that Elisha took the 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. You know, 12 represents government. And so there's 12 stones there, and, and, and Elijah says, I'm going to rebuild the altar. And I'm going to use all 12 stones. It's got to be built according to the pattern that God has given, okay? And he begins to rebuild the altar, okay? And I want to say this, in order for the fire of God to fall, we have to rebuild the altar. We have to rebuild the, the place of sacrifice. We have to rebuild the place of, of repentance. And if we don't rebuild it, the fire cannot come. Elijah couldn't just call down fire and say, God, send your fire onto, this, onto the ground. He had to rebuild the altar and put a sacrifice on the altar in order for the fire to come. And I believe as a church, if we learn how to build, uh, if we learn how to build the altar, which represents government, which represents sacrifice, then we will see the fire of the Lord come into our lives. All right? Would I be able to get some water? Maybe one of the ushers? That'd be awesome. So in order for the fire to fall, we need an altar, and that altar needs to be built to spec. Okay? And I want to say this, God's original choice for government is self-governance. Did you know that? I'll say that again. God's original choice is self-governance. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, and you can read it later, the children of Israel said, we want to have a king. We want to have a king like the other nations. And God, God was so heartbroken by that. He says, that's not the plan I have for Israel. I want you guys to, to worship me. And God had set up a system in which the judges would represent truth and uh, hold people to accountability, but people were expected to self-govern their own lives. Thank you so much. And I want to say this. Think about this. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. But up until, 
up until Moses, 2,400 years, there was no Ten Commandments. Think about that. There was. Uh, There was no Ten Commandments, so people had to basically make decisions based on what they thought was right. God had expected them, and the Bible says that God had written his laws upon our hearts. So people were to live by faith and live according to what was written in their heart. And if you don't believe that God is holding us accountable to self-govern our lives, uh, the Scripture says very clearly that we will stand before God and give an account for our life. And guess what? Pastor Cameron won't be standing beside you. Your mama won't be standing beside you. Your dad and Prime Minister Harper will not be standing beside you. You are accountable to self-govern your lives on the word of God and what God has written upon your heart. Amen? And so God has called us to self-govern. Actually, that's the way America was founded. It was founded as a republic, right? not as a democracy, and as a republic, uh, republics were set up in such a way to self-govern. You self-govern yourself, you have public servants, which is the, the scriptural way of leading. Leaders are to serve, and so you have public servants and judges to keep the peace, law, and order. And we've moved away from that. But God is calling each and every one of us to self-govern our lives. All right? And so... Um, I believe that if we're going to see a move of God, we need to rebuild. We have to self-govern our lives. We have to take those areas of our lives that have fallen down and say, you know what, I've got got to deal with this area right now. I've got to put this foundation back in place. I've got to deal with this this anger attitude that I have. I've got to deal with the way I'm, and and, and you know what these areas are in your life, the self-governing areas that you're not taking care of. God has talked to you, and you're like, ah, I'll deal with it, I'll deal with it. But God is saying, put that altar back in place. It also symbolizes the five-fold ministry, the government within the local church. As you begin to put that in place, the fire of God will come again. Amen? God is holding us responsible for our own lives, our own character, how we shine, what we allow in our lives. And the altar always symbolizes a place of sacrifice and repentance. We are living in a day that the church has knocked down the altar of sacrifice and repentance. Did you know that? Did you know that? People have knocked it down. Oh, God loves me. He's ble- I'm blessed. Uh, the, the presence of the Lord is in my life. He's such a good... Oh, what was that? Oh, there's a rock. Somebody left a... What's this pile of rocks doing here? And God wants us to begin to rebuild that place and say, God, if there's any area in me that I can rebuild... I want to put it back in order that the fire of God might come upon my life. Amen? And so I want to say this here. If we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 19, verse 10, it's very interesting because Elijah is talking to the Lord, and this is after the whole incident with the altar. We're going, moving forward into the future. He's running from Jezebel, and he says this very interesting thing here. He says... Um, I have been very zealous for the Lord, God of hosts, the children of Israel, have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are here to take my life. And so there was three things that the children of Israel had done. Three things. Say three things. Number one, they had forsaken the covenant of God. In other words, they said, you know what? You've done it all for me. 
I want the blessings of God, but there's no commitment from my side. That's what, that's what the children of Israel were doing. Because they were worshiping Baal, and they were worshiping God at the same time. So they wanted the blessing of Abraham, but there was no commitment from their side. I'll just do what I want. You've done it all for me, no commitment from my side. And you know, it's easy to fall into that place where it's just, whatever you can do, God, for me, I'll receive that, but there's no commitment from my side. You hear what I'm saying? And this was the sin that the children of Israel had fallen into. The second one is that they tore down the altars. There was no more sacrifice. Why? Because sacrifice costs you something. And they said, you know, I'm not going to lay down my life for the gospel. I'm not going to give my tithe. I'm not going to serve in my church. I'm not going to, you know, it's, it's too, it costs too much. Amen? And the third thing they did was they killed the prophets. Which means they rejected the teaching that brings correction and direction. Amen? And you know what, honestly, there, sometimes I see this in the church today. I see that we're moving into a, a self-centered gospel where it's just about me. What can I get from God? What can God do for me? What promises can I uh, put in my own life? And we move, away from, we move away from the covenant. What can we do for you? Amen? What can I do for you, God? What can I sacrifice for the kingdom? Speak to me, Lord. Talk to me about areas in my life that I need to change so I can bring correction so that I can grow in my life. Amen? And you say, why is this, why is this so important? Because the issue is, if the altar is rebuilt, the fire will fall. If the altar is not rebuilt, the fire can't come. All right? You guys, you got to hear me right now because this is so important. Hear this, hear this, hear this. There was a drought in the land. There was no water that had fallen in Israel because of the sin of idolatry. And they said, Lord, we need rain, we need rain, we need rain. So Elijah comes, builds an altar, builds it in the order that God told him to, rebuilds what they had torn down. The fire of God came, and after the fire came, the windows of heaven opened and the rain came. You cannot have the refreshing presence of God's, God's spirit until you have the fire of God first. Amen? Until the fire fell on the altar and consumed the sacrifice, the heavens didn't open. And it's the same way. Until the fire fell on the day of Pentecost and fell upon the heads of the apostles, there was no times of refreshing that came to the people of God. And so unless we have a sacrifice, unless we have an altar, we can't have the refreshing presence of God. Amen? John the Baptist came and preached a fiery message of repent, repent, and turn to the kingdom of God. It was a fire message Change your life. Let, whatever's wrong in you, let it be changed. Let the, repent. Come to the kingdom. And then Jesus came and he said, hey, anyone who is thirsty, come and drink. But you can't have the water until you have the fire. And we come to church, we say, Lord, I just want to be refreshed by your presence. Lord, I just want another drink of your grace. But there's no repentance. Does this make sense to Anybody? First Kings chapter 18, verse 31. And Elijah took the 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. See, God is into order. He really is. 
And he built Israel in the back of 12 men. And all 12 stones had to be represented until, so the fire could come. You guys see that? We're going to look at that in a few minutes in the New Testament. You'll see it as well. But um, let's look at what, what, once the altar's built, let's look what happens. Verse 32. And when the stones he, with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two, two uh, bags of seed, and he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood, and said, fill the water pots with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And then he said, do it a second time. And then he said, do it a third time. And when they did it a third time, the water ran over the edge of the altar and filled the trenches. And then we, we realized that what happened was he said, I'm going to make sure that the people see that it's, it's going to be impossible to like this thing. See, God likes to make it impossible so that he can come in and say, hey, it's really me. I did it. Nobody was standing there with a match on the side and flicked it in, right? This is real me. And so it was drenched not once, not twice, but it was drenched three times. So people couldn't say it wasn't God. You know, God could have raised Jesus from the dead on Friday night after he had died, but he says, you know, I'm going to make sure they know he's really, really dead. I'm going to wait not one day, not two days, but three days. Ben? And so it was soaked. You know, maybe some of you feel in this place that, you know what? I've been waterlogged by the, the ways of this world. There's sin in my life. There's areas in my life that need to change, and I don't really feel that God's fire could restore me. I don't feel that there's hope for me. I'm going to tell you, it doesn't matter how waterlogged you are, fire of God can come and it can transform you. Amen? Because when the fire, when God, when, 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 when he prayed Elijah and the fire came, it licked up the sacrifice. It licked up the water. It burnt the stones. Everything was devoured by the fire of God. Amen? And so the fire of God has the ability to do that. I want to show you something in Acts chapter 1. <clears throat> Acts chapter 1, if you go there with me. <clears throat> it's... Um, if you go to Acts chapter 1, verse 13, it says here, they were in the upper room and they're in a prayer meeting and they're waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit. They don't know who the Holy Spirit is, but they're waiting. And look what it says here. And when they had entered into the upper room, uh, they, they, there was with them staying, and I want you to say the names with me, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, Alphaeus, Simon, and Judas, the son of James. And the Bible says, and I want to ask you this question, how many people is that? That's 11. Simple math. Now, Judas had fallen, right? Judas had sinned. Judas had fallen. And so here they are together in the upper room, and they're praying, and they're seeking the Lord, and waiting for this thing to come. And then 
without getting into reading it all, Matthew chapter 15 to 20, Peter says, hold on a second. Don't the scriptures say that there's supposed, there's supposed to be 12 followers? Actually, Jesus said he would build his church upon the backs of 12 men. There's supposed to be 12 disciples. And Judas sinned and had fallen away, so we have to replace Judas. And so they picked two men that were of character, and they chose one through um, casting lots. You're familiar with that, right? And so as soon as they cast lots, verse 26, and the lots fell on Matthias, he was numbered with the 11 apostles, making 12. And then the day of Pentecost came, and the fire of God came. So you see, just like when he rebuilt the altar, there had to be the, tw the 12 sons of Jacob represented it. In the New Testament, the 12 apostles had to be representative in order for the fire of God to come upon and for Pentecost to be birthed. Now that's important. You say, why is that important? Because you have a place in the body of Christ and you might be the missing piece. Because you're not saying, okay, God, I'm stepping into my calling, into my destiny, and, and, and you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to move you into what he wants you to be. You know what I mean? You need to be part of that altar. Does that make sense? And so God wants us all to be in our place so that the fire can come. All right? You know, it's, it's time to... Um, there's one thing I got a revelation of about 20 years ago, and I live on it, is the grace and mercy of God. How many understand the mercy and grace of God? Amen. His unconditional love... Um, the fact that he'll never let you go, that you're part of the kingdom and all this kind of stuff. We need to have a revelation of that. Very, very important. But sometimes we can move so far to the other side that we'll fall into the ditch and we forget that there, it's very important to have a heart of repentance and have a heart that comes before the Lord, um, that we're not sacrificial with our life and with our giving. Amen? Um, I had a pastor friend that I called when I was preparing this message, uh, and uh, I asked him the question, why do you think there's no fear of God in the world? Like, there's no reverence for God in the world. And he said it's because there's very little reverence for God in the church as a whole. And he's right. There's no fear of God in the church. And um, I think that it's so easy to kick over the altar of sacrifice, kick it over and just ignore it. And think that it's enough to just pray and go to church and um, quote the promises of God without making, making a place in our lives where we come before the Lord. In fact, it says here in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, if we'll bring that up there. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, the only thing that Elijah could do was rebuild the altar. The only thing he could do was provide a place for sacrifice. God did the rest. The only thing we can do in our lives is prepare, prepare a place, an altar, a place of sacrifice in our lives. And God will do the rest. Let's look at the results in 1 Kings 
18, verse 38 and 39. Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up the water in the trenches, and when all the people saw it, they fell down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, He is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Not only did it consume the sacrifice, it licked up the water in the trenches. The trenches can represent the low places in our lives. When the fire of God comes, it doesn't only burn the sacrifice, it will lick up the water in the trenches of our lives. When the fire of God comes, it's an enablement to uh, deal with the issues that we can't deal with ourselves, the addictions, whatever it might be. Amen? I want to say this. uh, This is a statement by Charles Finney. Revival is a renewed conviction of sin and repentance followed by intense desire to live in obedience to God. It is giving up one's will to God in deep humility. I believe that we're living in a time that God is expecting us to rebuild the altar in our lives and he will do the rest. How many guys know the story of Gideon? You guys know the story of Gideon? A few of you? One of you? Gideon was actually the least in his tribe. He was hiding in the wine press. And uh, the Lord came to him, an angel came to him, and called him a mighty man of valor. And he says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to raise you up and you're going to go against the Midianites and you're going to destroy the enemy. Okay? Uh, but I want you to do something first. And he gave him instructions. The angel gave him instructions and he took some men and he went at night and he went up to the top of the hill and there was an altar built to Baal. And he tore down the altar and he rebuilt an altar to the Lord using the material from the other altar. And he had a sacrifice. In the morning when they woke up, they were so mad, they said, who tore down the altar of Baal? Who did this thing? Who created, who did this? And they all pointed to Gideon. And some of the people were saying, you know, you know, we're going to kill Gideon because, uh, because he's doing this on his own, own accord. He didn't talk to us and, you know, he's defiant. You know, he's coming against what we believe, and uh, they were attacking him. And others said, no, you know what? Let Baal defend himself. But I'm saying that, I'm saying that because until the altar was rebuilt and the idolatry was pulled down, they would never, he would never have been able to go against the Midianites, and they would never have won their battle. And I'm telling you, unless we build an altar of sacrifice in our life, a place of repentance, a place where we say, Lord, here am I, use me. Until you build that in your life, you will never have victory over your enemies in the spiritual sense. Does that make sense to anybody? And so God is calling us this morning to recognize the importance of the altar. Now, are you guys okay? Am I going too long? What time is it? I'm good? Okay. So, um, in the Old Testament, there's, uh, and I'm just giving you a little, little teaching here. And remember, in the Old Testament, these offerings are all shadows of what we're doing through Christ, okay? So there's five different offerings. The first one is the burnt offering. So if you're taking notes, the first one is the burnt offering. Now, the burnt offering was actually, uh, and it's not your wife's cooking either. It's actually, it was actually a, oh, I can't say that because my wife's a good cook, but that was a voluntary sacrifice, Okay? The burnt offering was a voluntary sacrifice. You didn't have to do it. Okay? 
It was voluntary. Um, and it was actually a recognition of God's goodness, or sorry, it was actually, a, it was complete surrender to God. Okay? So at, if you were an Israelite living back then, you didn't have to make this sacrifice. This was voluntary. And what it was saying to God when you did this sacrifice, and I don't got time to get into how, how they did the sacrifice, but the burnt sacrifice was saying, I, I surrender my whole life to God, and it was voluntary. As a believer today, you don't have to say, Lord, I surrender my whole life. You, you, you can squeak into heaven by just believing God, but I'm talking about, we're talking about a complete surrender, okay? Number two is the grain offering. The grain offering was, offering, was an offering that was also voluntary. It was a recognition of God's goodness and provision, and it indicated living sacrificially. Okay, so the grain offering was also voluntary. The third one is the peace offering. The peace offering was also a voluntary offering. And you didn't have to do it, but it was basically thanksgiving and fellowship. And it really symbolized communion with God. That was voluntary. So I want you to say three of the offerings were voluntary. Okay. Now, the last... The last two, the fourth offering that the Israelites had to make was the sin offering. The sin offering was mandatory. It was a confession of unintentional and intentional sin. And it indicates payment for the sin nature. That was mandatory. Now in the New Testament, we know that Jesus made that offering for us, didn't he? Did he not? Okay. And the fifth one is the trespass offering, which was mandatory. And it actually was an atonement for unintentional sin and the cleansing from defilement involving uh, making restitution with other people. And so uh, this, this actually indicates forgiveness of committed sins, whether you're aware of it or not. And this was also mandatory, and Jesus took care of the mandatory trespasses. Hallelujah. Isn't that good? So Jesus took the place of our trespasses. Jesus took the place of our sin. But the peace, the grain, and the burnt offering, the surrender to God, the recognition of God's goodness and provision, and fellowship and communion, those three offerings are the offerings that we have to give voluntarily. We don't have to give them, but if we give them voluntarily, the fire of God will come. Amen? And so it's important to see that. Um, there's a need for the fire. How many say, I need the fire of God? Okay. Um, I want to read you something here. How many heard of William Booth? William Booth. William Booth was actually uh, in ministry from 1878 to 1912, and he is the founder of the Salvation Army. Okay. Um, the Salvation Army started as a revival uh, from London throughout the known world. Salvation Army expanded. You should do some research on it. It's quite awesome. And uh, this is what William Booth said on persecution. This is on persecution. He said here, Night after night, Booth would come home bleeding and bruised after being attacked for preaching. He would then take his wife's hand and say, Kate, let me pray with you. After praying with Catherine, he would rise from his knees armed with fresh courage and hope, and she would encourage him. If we get tired, we better we had better go on and be done with it. 
Anything is better than a dead church. And in her diary, she would write that Booth would stumble home night after night, haggard with fatigue. Often his clothes were torn and bloody bandages swarthed his head where the stones had struck. One night, meetings were held in an old warehouse where stones and fireworks were thrown into the window as they sang hymns. Those who served in the army almost every night were pelted with hot coals, sprayed with tar, burned with sulfur. They were beat, stoned, and even kicked to death in the streets. Those in the Salvation Army never resisted their enemies with uh, they, the army always resisted their enemies with a cheerful God bless you and a prayer. General Booth himself was often in the thick of it. Uh, when spit on during the Midland tours, Booth encouraged his fellow sh- soldiers, don't rub it off, it's a medal. These soldiers of the Lord were steadfast and would not be moved. Not only did they refuse to be driven away, but they also when, won many Christian converts from their enemies. And I'm amazed when I see the, the way these guys stood up for their faith and the love of God came out of them. And uh, I, one of the songs that they sang uh, that um, William Booth had written about why he had the strength to do this, and I don't know if you were able to get it, to, were you able to get it up? Okay. We're gonna, we're gonna, you might have to turn it up because the volume might be loud, but this is uh, called Send the Fire, and this was a song that they sang. And it was all about being empowered by the fire of God, right? And uh, so can we, can we play that? So just turn it up a bit.
God is good. Why don't we stand? We could just play something there. That'd be great. I really feel that um, we need to um, search our hearts right now and let the Holy Spirit minister to you. Maybe there's an area in your life you just feel like there was in self-governance there's areas that you need to put in, in in place there's stones that are out of place there's things that you know you need to deal with and you haven't done it because it to you it seems like it costs too much and you know that God is speaking to you this morning and he's saying I want you to deal with that I want you to put that in place and and he's saying you know son daughter I love you this is not about works it's about getting your life in order that I can come and empower you and fulfill you and, 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 and God is speaking to you. And maybe there's others here. You say there's an area in my life, in, in the area of the governance of the church, where you just have not come in line. And you just know that God's calling you to step up in an area. And you've been holding back. And you've been saying, no, I, I, I'm just not ready. Or, I, I, you know, there's, there's, there's an area. You just, you just don't want to move into it. And God is calling you into that place. And you've been resisting the call. And I'm here to tell you that God loves you. And he's, his mercy is here, but he wants to send his fire. He wants to send an empowering to you that can only come as you make a sacrifice of your life, as you lay your life on the altar um, this morning. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you just speak to our hearts right now. We want to rebuild the altars. We want to rebuild that place of repentance, that place of sacrifice, God that your fire could come because we need the rain of heaven in Kingston. We need the rain of heaven, the rain of refreshing to come, but it can't come until we rebuild the altars of repentance. We have to get right with you this morning, God. We know that you've covered our sin, you've dealt with our sin, those trespass offering was taken care of, but you're calling us to freely come and make a commitment this morning. I think there's some of you in this place if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and you say, I, I, I have to rebuild the altar in my life in a certain area, and you know what it is, I'm opening the altar for you to come up now. We're going to pray together. I want the fire of God in my life. I want to deal with these issues. Just come forward this morning. Don't resist what God is doing. This is a hard message. This was a hard message, but it's, it's, it's not hard, really. When you've experienced the fire of God, when God comes and takes the things you're struggling with away because you decided to make an altar, it's all worth it. I'm telling you. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Just